May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. My friend David Latimer teaches intercultural studies at Ohio Christian University. And he was a missionary to uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, to, uh, to Africa, to Europe. Spent a large part of his life in, in world missions. I have met few people who have the unique kind of qualities that David has. He is bright, very bright. He's decent. He's gentle. He's learned. He has all these great qualities and attributes. I, I know few people who are universally as, as loved and respected as he is as well. The Yiddish word for what my friend David is, is a Mitch. He is a perfect gentleman. He's a great guy, a fantastic person. One day we were sitting eating lunch together, university uh, cafeteria, and, um, and this young woman walks up and she says to Dr. Latimer, directs her, her question towards him, she says, um, Dr. Latimer, do you suppose that a person who grew up in a Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu culture, who never heard the name of Jesus in their entire life, they grew up in that culture, they live, they die, do you suppose that that person will go to hell? I was really glad she asked him that question and not me, you know, for a number of reasons. But one of the reasons was because David has another quality. He's direct. He goes straight to an answer. I mean, there is no equivocating with him at all. Me, on the other hand, I'm Mr. Well, on the one hand we have this, and on the other hand we have that, you know. I, mean, I could never, I'm in the paralysis of analysis all the time, right? Never getting to the answer of a question. And so I knew, I mean, it, it's the Anglican way, isn't it? Where the via media? I mean, ask somebody, uh, you're an Anglican, does that mean you're Catholic or Protestant? You know what the answer is? Yes. Um, you know, we, we have like the, the middle way on every, we, we're, ask us anything we can equivocate. Not David. I knew he would go straight to an answer, and he did not disappoint. He looks at this young lady, and with genuine compassion, with serious empathy, he says to her, I'm sorry, dear, but I believe that if a person grows up in a pagan culture, never knows the name of Christ, and therefore never turns to Christ for salvation, they will die and go to hell. And I was surprised by what happened next. Because what happened next was, I was shocked, I was stunned. Um, and normally I would have just, you know, held my... David is old enough to be my father. I, I respect him probably as much as anybody else that I know. Um, and, and so for those reasons, you know, you would think that I would just keep my mouth shut. But I didn't, you know. It came out, I said that I completely disagree. <gasps> And we had a controversy. I mean, it was, it was like a quarterback controversy right there at the, at the professor table. You have two professors in the same department on a completely opposite sides of, a, of, a, of an opinion. See, I am also surprised because I was unswerving in my commitment, my conviction. This wasn't a moment where I was equivocating. I mean, it was, it was like a moment I should have written down in my diary and, and kept it. You know, I didn't equivocate. I, I took a position. It was a strong one and a firm one. I could have sent it into Anglicans for life. I don't know. I could have sent it, you know, somewhere. and It would have been a great day. Uh, but I didn't. I went, we held completely opposite positions. 
You see, I don't believe that a person who grows up in a culture and they never have a chance to make a choice could be punished for all eternity for not making a choice that they had no chance to make in the first place. That seems to me unjust. And maybe you'll come back to me later and say, oh, we have to talk about this, and maybe we will. But I believe the work of God is to reconcile all people to Himself through the work of Jesus Christ. Not to create intellectual dogma. Not to get people to consent or assent intellectually to what He has done in Jesus. The work of salvation is by Jesus alone. But intellectual assent, intellectual consent, is a different thing altogether. Some time ago I came across a, uh, a website that was talking about the Dalai Lama. I know almost nothing about the Dalai Lama. You know, you could tell me all kinds of information and I would be... But what I do know about this guy I like. I found him to be an interesting fellow. And so I, I read a little bit and... Um, I came across his 18 rules to live by. Have you ever heard of these 18 rules of the Dalai Lama to live by? I won't give you all 18, but how about a few, okay? Number one, take into account that great love and great achievements involve great risk. Great love and great achievements involve great risks. Number two, remember, when you lose, don't lose the lesson. Well, that's a good word, isn't it? When you lose... Don't lose the lesson. Live a good, honorable life. Then when you get old, you can think back about it and enjoy it for a second time. I like that. That's good stuff. Go somewhere once a year you've never been before. That's a good one too. Judge your success by what you had to give up in order to get it. These are just a few of his um, 18 lessons. I think they're great lessons. I think they're interesting, fascinating. I resonate with a lot of them. I came across another source. I'll keep it my secret for just a moment. I came across another source. I read some of these. Respect and honor all human beings, irrespective of their religion, color, race, gender, language, status, property, uh, uh, birth, or, or profession. I like that. Always speak the truth. Shun words that are deceitful and ostentatious. I had to look up ostentatious to see what it meant. But yeah, I agree with that too joking. I thought it was funny. Um, <laughs> don't make a mockery or ridicule people. Good lesson. Any idea where these came from? Oh, I bet you're way ahead of me, aren't you? These come from the Quran. Yeah. These come from the Muslim holy book. Do you suppose, just for a little thought experiment, do you suppose that if we went to every culture around the world, cultures that are well known to us and cultures that are not well known to us do you suppose that if we look into their philosophy into their wisdom that we might find good lessons for life in all cultures do you suppose there might be some lessons in other cultures where there's, where there's wisdom where there's, um, uh, there's advice on how to live a good life and you know there are and so by now hopefully the tension is cranked way up and you're saying to yourself, or maybe thinking to yourself, oh no, he has simply come, lost it. He's, he's going off the edge. Or at least this much. So what's so special about Christianity? What's so special about Jesus? What does Jesus bring that nobody else... Is he just one more option in the many options that we have? We've been in St. John's Gospel for five weeks now. Lots of bread, lots of uh, stories about eating this bread. And, and, and we've gone through this long journey. 
Um, the gospel begins in, uh, in the early part of it, and there's this, this work of, of feeding 5,000, and there's this long discussion about the bread of life. Jesus makes, in the second half of John's gospel, some very exclusive claims. Very exclusive claims. John six twenty seven. do not work for food that perishes, Jesus says, but for, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Listen, for it is on Him, exclusively, it is on Him that the God, has set, the, God the Father has set His seal. John six thirty five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Ego me in Greek. I am. Emphatic. I me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? Very truly I tell you, John 6, 53. Uh, I tell you, unless, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. And people understood what Jesus was saying. Listen, at the beginning of chapter 6, He feeds 5,000 people with just a few fish, or a couple of fish and a few loaves of, uh, of bread. And people are going crazy. Chapter 6, verse 15. <laughs> I couldn't get that out. Chapter 6, verse 15. They want to make Him their King. By force, if necessary. But go every ten verses down, and you become more. They become more and more reluctant, more and more recalcitrant to re- to recognize Jesus. I'm not so sure about this guy. What is he saying? We reject him. That's what happens, right? He goes from having this crowd of five thousand that want to make him king to in just a in a day they're rejecting him and they're all leaving. Imagine Jesus was a pastor of a church, okay? He starts off on day one with 12 people. That's a good start. I know a lot of people who have planted churches with 12 people. It happens. It's a great way to do it. So he he has day one, he has 12 people. On day two, he has 5,000 people. I mean, that's church growth like unbelievable, right? Could you imagine being in a church? If we had 5,000 people tomorrow, I mean, we would have to have 20 services, right? Just to kind of fit them in. I was in Korea a, a few years ago, and perhaps I, I think I mentioned this. I went to the largest church in the world, the Yoido Full Gospel Church. 800,000 members. 800,000 members. Okay? They have like, I can't remember what it was, 30 services on a weekend. And they tell their people, please, do not come to more than one service. Could you imagine that? I don't, uh, listen, Holy Trinity, no, no more than one. You get one. That's it. All weekend. Imagine Jesus goes from 12 people to 5,000 overnight. And then over the next night, from 5,000 down to 12. I mean, they probably would fire him, right? I mean, this is it. You're done. You know, you had a good start. You look promising, but no. Listen, Jesus, people like choices. They don't like this exclusivity stuff. They, they, want, they want everything. They want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Not just all you. I mean, let them have a little range, a little options, right? Make this thing a little wider. Jesus looks at his friends, the last 12 left. And he says to them, what about you? Are you going to go too? And I think at this moment, there's this long pregnant pause. I think everybody's saying to themselves, I mean, it's been a big day, right? They saw a couple miracles. Jesus walked on water. He fed 5,000 people. They saw a big crowd come and go. 
And then Peter says, where else will we go? You have the words of life. You alone, Lord, have the words of life. Where else do we go? You know, there are a lot of good ideas in the world. There really are. There are a lot of great philosophies in this world. God has not left Himself without a witness anywhere on this planet. But get this. Wisdom is not life. Wisdom is not life. It might improve the quality of your existence, but it is not life. Jesus' exclusive claim is that only He gives life. And people got it. They understood it. Peter understood it. He understood that what Jesus offered wasn't just a ticket to heaven. It was about life in the present moment, in the here and now. All of our English translations butcher John 6.51. It sounds like this in the New Revised Standard. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. In fact, if you read most English translations... The NIV, I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Uh, the NAS, uh, if it, I'm the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Just in case you feel like you're offended from 1611, the King James Version. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. That is a bad translation in every single one of them. What Jesus said is, I am the bread, the one that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread... He will live into the ages. Every English translation that I check omits the preposition. He will live into the ages. It's an idea that life begins now and goes on into eternity. This is about reconciliation with God. And Jesus is saying that while all other philosophies offer an improvement to life, He's the only one that offers us a relationship with God the Father. He's the only one that will not only improve the quality of our life, but will actually give us life. Listen, Christianity's unique and exclusive claim is this. Only through Jesus Christ do we find grace. Only through Christ do we find grace. I thought a lot about that conversation today in the university cafeteria. This young lady coming up, you know... um, person lives in a culture never hears of Jesus will they go to heaven and hell and and I thought about the answers that David gave the one that I gave and I don't think I changed my answer I think I still give the same answer the problem though and I think this is probably what I would say to that young lady the problem is you have the wrong question it's not the right question you see the right question is this is is can someone find life apart from Jesus. Can God rescue someone after they die? He's God. Of course He can do whatever He wants, right? I mean, it kind of goes along with the job. He's God. He can do whatever He wants. But can someone find life apart from Jesus? And the answer to that question is no. Jesus alone gives life. There's a lot of wisdom in the world, but there's only one place that we find grace. And only in one place that we find grace to live a truly human life. And that's through Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.